So, Bob, when uh, when we first launched the the, the podcast, uh, I remember you reaching out and saying, "Hey, dude, you got to get me on." And uh, we're finally doing it. And I'll be honest, a little bit of that was just to see you squirm and, and keep asking. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna push him out a little bit yeah. more just to. Uh, <laughs> To, 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 to kind of tease them a little bit, um, but excited to have you on. And uh, I don't know if I've, I've told you uh, directly. I know I've told others, but uh, I've got a handful of mentors that I really look up to in, in my career as optometry, and, and you're one of them. Um, and I, I appreciate that because I got to meet you as a student and uh, work in your office down at Solo Eye Care shortly after you guys opened. I don't know how soon it was after you opened, but I think it was pretty quick. Yeah, it was it was pretty soon, man. But uh, just just for the record, I wasn't begging to get on the podcast. I was just uh, I, I, I was just insulted that you wouldn't ask me maybe a little bit sooner, you know, so but uh, no, it was it was a pleasure having you as a student. It's it's kind of it's funny, like looking back on it. And uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I still remember the first time I met you. You don't even know this story, man. I uh, so it was the job of, we were only open a couple of years, but every student would rotate through. And it was the job of the student that left me to turn around and have to find the next student. So the student that we had before that, you know, was someone I knew from high school. She was great. She's like, I got this perfect guy for you. You know, he's been working in optical for a while. And then, so I go in and uh, meet you. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like, it was pretty late at night. It was like after patient care and, uh, you came from school <laughs> and we were in the lab and at the office, my office at the time was pretty small. So you, you put your backpack down in the lab and we finished the interview. Obviously you were awesome. And, uh, and so like all of a sudden I realized I'm wrapping up some things and turn the lights off that your, that your backpack was still there. And I didn't see you anywhere outside. I mean, I, we didn't have each other's cell phone numbers or any, anything like that, you know? So, and uh, so I saw the backpack and I'm like, Oh, that was, you know, and I'll just drop it off at ICO tomorrow. I live right here. So I <laughs> took the backpack and I'm like, in order for you not to forget it, um, I had to go to the bathroom. So I brought it in the bathroom with me <laughs> and, and I was in there for a little longer than I wanted to be in there. And uh, so I, I get out of the bathroom with your backpack and you're banging on the window on the shutters, you know, <laughs> trying to try to get in. And I'm like, oh man, now I gotta, I gotta give this guy his backpack back it's been in the bathroom i'm thinking about you know the seinfeld episode <laughs> and um yeah so that's uh that's something you didn't know you know you didn't know if i was rifling through your stuff and checking up on you or i don't know if you saw it or what was happening but the bathroom was like right by the lab you couldn't help but see it you looked right in there but uh yeah so that was my first uh memory of uh of rex as we called you back then yes yeah. yes my first name yeah. i uh my guess is, I don't remember that. My guess, though, is I was so embarrassed that I left it there and then I had to come back and knock <laughs> on the door. I'm trying to get a job from this guy. And I mean, the, like the yeah. Dr. Bob Steinmetz. And, yeah, right. uh, and, and so, yeah, how embarrassing. First time I meet him, I leave my crap. So, yeah, dude, that was, that was funny. And I, I thought you'd get a kick out of, out of that story. But yeah, those were, I mean, it was great. You know, it was a good experience <laughs> for us. We were glad to have you. I and mean, you worked harder than anybody you know that's one of the things i think is you know kind of most important when you look at um what you did with your career now it's pretty impressive we, we always kind of knew but uh yeah it was it was wild and i don't even remember how we started we had an errand in the office already and then i think when you filled out your w2 we found out that your your name was actually rex and so we we immediately uh, affectionately started calling you rex so yeah yeah and then well, i got to meet was... your cool dad then i got to meet your cool dad who's the original rex right yep the og yeah. 
Yeah, he's the bad. He's no. a bad man. He's got a great, great handlebar mustache. That guy. So, yeah. Oh, he does. That that's that handlebar mustache is famous. So, it, <laughs> uh, that's fun. No, I had a lot of time working uh, working with you guys, and uh, uh, you were the only doctor I've ever worked with that has done exams in tuxedo pants. Um, I don't know if they were tuxedo pants, but they look like them to me. And uh, it, it, <laughs> and uh, and I, I don't say that to, to laugh. And, and I mean, it's kind of funny. But um, but what I learned from you is all the details. Uh, you picked up on so many, or, or like you just you were aware of tiny little small details, and the bigger impression that that would make. Um, and that was one of the things that I remember taking away from my time working with. Uh, with you and one of the things I, uh, many things I learned, but just, you know, it's, it, people say don't sweat the small stuff, but sometimes it's the small stuff that really is the big stuff. And whether it's describing a frame to a patient or uh, some of the little details that you would explain in the, uh, uh, in the exam to the patient, or even just noticing, you know, a small little piece of paper that got kicked in the corner and, uh, and picking it up. Right. It, but it matters. It, it all adds to the bigger impression. Um, so I, uh, I, I appreciated that. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of OCD, man. So uh, so <laughs> when I when I interview opticians now, and they'll do a working interview, and you know we pay them, and um, I'll purposely throw stuff on the floor, you know, to see if they'll actually pick it up or not. It's a pretty, yeah, it's it's a pretty raw test, but um, you know, it's it's something that you know shows a lot about them, and see mm -hmm. if they're going to go ahead and pick something like that up. Um, but yeah, the details are important, you know, not, not the tuxedo stripes. I mean, those, those were just ridiculous, <laughs> but, um, I, uh, you know, my, when my mom told me, you know, about her eye doctor, she said, you know, I only remember really two things about him is his breast smelled terrible and he wore great socks. So, uh, I always have great socks on and I, I eat about a, a tin of, uh, uh, Altoids a day. So I try to. <laughs> I try to go ahead and represent, but no, it's important. I mean, from everything from, you know, the details that you notice in terms of what they're wearing, what bag they're carrying, um, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, everything about them, their outfit and, um, you know, even how they smell, how the office smells, you know? So yeah. at that time, I think we just got like scent air and, uh, we wanted to create like this experience of almost walking in, you know, to the Venetian hotel where you kind of just never forget that customized smell of kind of what that's like. So um, everything from coffee, you know, out in front and water and, you know, me coming out to serve it, I think is a, you know, is a, is a pretty big deal. Like, well, the doctors out there offer me coffee. I still do it to this day. You know, it's uh, but yeah, the details are important because you learn a lot about the patient while you're interacting with them, whether, you know, it's what they do for a living, what their hobbies are, you know, how you're going to be able to sell multiple pairs uh, to meet their needs and really take care of them. So I usually tell my externs, listen, I, I don't want to tell you um, to write down all of the clinical diagnoses and things that we review. I just, just write down a lot of the stuff that I say that I've learned, you know, over the years. Yeah. I said, and there's going to be sometimes I just don't know. And you and I are going to work on this together and we're going to go ahead and, and look this up in Will's Eye Manual or whatever else you yeah. guys have now. And uh, we'll figure it out. I don't have all the answers, but we'll, we'll figure it out together. So definitely. Well, it, it left an impression. In fact, I think it left an impression on the community because I remember uh, early on before you had security gates, somebody broke in to steal the, uh, the TV and they actually removed the cushions off the couch when they stood on the couch. Um, they took the TV, but they didn't mess up the, uh, the cushions. He, he was very kind. You know, that, was, was, uh, that was the second break in in 24 hours. I can't believe you remember that. So then I had, uh, I don't know if you remember, but I had, so I had to sleep on the couch with a baseball bat mm -hmm. for a couple of nights because we had dogs there. And the dogs were really expensive and they messed up the office. And so 
we couldn't afford, you know, major security until we found Gilbert, a 350 pound security guard that sat there until we got the shutters installed. But, uh, yeah, so we uh, we had to, <laughs> we had to uh, do what we had to do to protect the place because we couldn't we couldn't hire a security to go ahead and watch it. But uh, that's a good memory. He did it in broad daylight, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning, and we had it all on video. He skipped right down the sidewalk, you know, holding the TV on his shoulder like it was nothing. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> that was good times, and I think anybody who's who owns a business, it has you know, hopefully not similar stories, but that we've all got we've all got our stories of having to roll the sleeves up and do the, uh, the crazy things. Absolutely. So, um, so tell us a little bit about, for those who don't know you and, uh, I mean, in, in Chicago and ICO, you're, you're, you're legend, you're the Bob Steinmetz and, uh, it's, uh, you may shake your head. No, but you know, that's a good thing, right? It's super cool. Um, but tell us a little bit about, you know, your background, um, into, uh, where you grew up, you know, you obviously went to ICO, uh, opening the practice and then what you, uh, how you got into what you're doing now with iCare Advisors. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, thanks for the kind words. I mean, I think it's more memorable because of the tuxedo pants and ridiculous <laughs> outfits more than anything. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I was fortunate to have, you know, a lot of mentors, you know, along the way in my career. And uh, one of them was my uncle, uh, who is an optometrist out in the suburbs here of Chicago, uh, just a pioneer out of the box kind of a thinker. Um, he ended up putting in a laser in his private optometry practice to have ophthalmology come in and actually perform LASIK surgery. And I got to move his office and got to observe him and his family life and just what an amazing, you know, father and uncle he was. And uh, I said, you know what, this is really kind of something I really want to get into. I love medicine. I love kind of the fashion aspect of it. And um, so I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Uh, you know, I uh, Ended up living with my mom in optometry school. It's pretty awesome, but I still took out, you know, the full boat of loans because I wanted to buy nice, you know, tuxedo pants and uh, and then go hang out downtown. But uh, I um, so I decided in, in fourth year that you know I was a president of student association and we were just having a lot of external forces, you know, kind of crashing down on us about how we really couldn't go out into private practice on our own and we really need to take the corporate route for a short period of time or do a residency and and it was one of these things where i just wanted to prove it could be done i had no money i had you know the third highest loan debt in my class um i i opened the first practice you know for ninety three thousand dollars it was in 485 square feet I, you know we just had to get the doors open and uh so yeah, back then there was, I, I didn't really have an option. I did a lot of, you know, do it yourself kind of things. I used to be in the electrician's union. So I was able to do some of that work there and, um, you know, made a ton of mistakes, man. I mean, I just, the mistakes we made were crazy. Um, buying equipment that was used and, uh, you know, buying things and, um, you know, from dealers that were irreputable um, that were doing these deals in international waters to try to get discounts on some things. And so when it ended up happening um, was the practice grew pretty quick and, uh, yeah. So ended up, you know, moving uh, to a bigger location, opening solo eye care down in Michigan Avenue. And uh, the entire time, you know, I just wanted to prove that, you know, private practice was a possibility that you could actually do it, even with very little funding and little funding. And uh, I didn't have an angel investor or anything like that and uh, just bootstrapped it. And so there were times, you know, two years in, I only had a few grand, you know, in my bank account. Uh, I tell clients that now they think it's ridiculous, but I didn't know any better. You know, I just this is kind of how. I grew up and, uh, you know, it was just one of these things I kind of had to do. And, and so what we did is we originally just tried to help others, you know, get exposed to uh, cold start optometry and that you could actually, you know, actually make this happen. And now, you know, you fast forward 
you know, several years later, uh, we have five solo eye care practices and also eight other practices in the suburbs, so a total of uh, 13, uh, all of which two were cold starts. And um, we saw a need in the market. And, um, you know, my business partner, Dr. Boss, who's absolutely incredible, he's more of the brains of the operation than anybody. And uh, we got together and we were seeing a lot of the same questions coming to both of us over and over because I was involved at the school as you know and yeah. Eric was teaching at the school and uh, you know we'd get all these individuals coming to us and say listen I've you know signed a terrible lease you know I've bought all this equipment I have a loan that's x amount of dollars and I need you to help and at that point we, we honestly we just couldn't unring the bell you know we couldn't people were out there just doing it themselves or they were out there with some consulting advice that was really poor I mean there, were, there was a lot of consultants at that time taking uh, points on the loan, you know, mm -hmm. taking kickbacks from equipment vendors, um, you name it, frame vendors, everything. It was just, a, it was a wild west. And uh, so we decided, you know what, this is, this is, we're going to do the opposite. And um, we're just going to kind of change the game. And so we ended up, you know, starting eye care advisors, thinking we would start in the Chicagoland market and uh, slowly expand. And because both of us, obviously, were still in practice and teaching and you know, it ended up growing and now we've got over 300 of these things across the country. It's, it's absolutely incredible. I and mean, we're very blessed to have that happen to us. It's, uh, it's a great team. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's, been, it's been a pretty wild ride. So it's, uh, it, it's every day. It's a ton of fun to go to work. That's cool. Uh, it's been fun to, to watch. And I've had the pleasure of having some of my classmates and close friends um, open cold work through you guys um, and, uh, and seeing some others uh, locally here in San Diego and, and across um, what I loved about just from a third party perspective, watching what you guys do is that it's, it's not a cookie cutter, right? Cause all these practices have their identity and they all have different dreams and goals and wishes. And I think the worst thing we do when somebody's thinking about starting a, a practice or starting a new business, whatnot is to rain on their parade, you know, you, you know, tell them you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, and I don't see that with, with you guys now. I think you're, you give sound advice, you know, there's some equipment, and toys maybe you don't need right out of the gate, but it's how do we help you get what you want? Not how do I help you fit the box that, that makes me look better. Um, and, uh, and you know, like you said, there's tons of consultants out there, lots of, of great ones, but I see, I think that is one of the, the differentiators that I've seen um, with eye care advisors and knowing you and knowing Eric, uh, just your personalities. It's, it's not about us making us look good. It's about us helping you achieve your dreams. Um, and the success of, of these practices has been really undeniable. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty humbling. It's, uh, I appreciate the kind words, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, the program's changed over time. It's really different from when we started almost 10 years ago. So it's what we are now. It's entirely different. Um, we, we kind of have to change with the times as more new programs come out there, as more new pieces of equipment and technology come on the market, as loan rates change and lease rates change, you know, we have to evolve with them. Uh, different, you know, alliance programs change, insurance changes. And so we're constantly evolving and we're in the trenches. I mean, we're seeing patients on a day-to-day -day basis. Everyone on our team is cold started. And, uh, we understand the challenges that our cold starts face on a, on a daily basis, but not all of them practice the same way we do. They have a unique mission and we have to align their mission with their equipment choices to make sure they're going to get an ROI, to make sure they have an optical collection that's cultivated by our optician it helps them select all those frames. It's probably the first time they've ever been in the optical since, you know, they were in dispensing in like four yeah. years. So, um, you know, it, it changes for each one. And, you know, we try to have a lot of independent, you know, design instead of, you know, looking at 
uh, frame boards and other uh, types of just kind of cookie cutter type imagery in the outside. And, yep. you know, we're, we're fortunate that it's kind of, you know, design is modernized quite a bit. So we've been able to, you know, follow along with those trends and save clients a lot of money on their build out and making sure that, you know, we're not getting sucked in by uh, companies that are, are putting in, you know, too many uh, things and displays and millwork and, and along those lines. So, but yeah, it's, it's a ton of fun. Everybody's a little different. They're from all over the country. Uh, all oh, yeah. different situations, man. I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy. We had we had one meeting where you know five of our clients were were pregnant and about to open, you know, within the next you know six to nine months. But I, I mean, these women are unbelievable. I, I'm like, you guys are pregnant here. You're you're ready to open. You know, sometimes a couple of weeks after they deliver, it's it's wild. I mean, it's the courage it takes is incredible. It's not for everybody, um, but it, it's been a great experience. We learned something new, you know, from every single client that we've opened from start to finish, and it's. Uh, we try to take that and kind of apply it to the next one. In the past, our focus revolved around prescribing MacuHealth or MacuHealth Plus to patients at risk of macular degeneration, while also recommending it to collegiate and professional athletes for enhanced contrast sensitivity and sports performance. However, this year's introduction of the Life Meter has been a game changer. The Life Meter revealed a concerning truth. Many of my patients have alarmingly low skin carotenoid levels indicating potential deficiencies in essential body tissues like the retina and brain. Supported by over 30 peer-reviewed publications, LifeMeter's accuracy, consistency, and effectiveness has been demonstrated across 2,000 subjects with diverse backgrounds. With this newfound insight, I can now have meaningful conversations about carotenoid levels with all of my patients, even those who may seem outwardly healthy. To learn more about this empowering technology, Feel free to contact your MacuHealth representative or click on the link in the show notes. Together, let's optimize patient care and elevate their well-being. Uh, absolutely. So you mentioned a ton of changes, and I agree with you. The industry's changed. That I mean, our scope has changed. That the new equipment, uh, different groups, and whatnot. Um, the people have changed, and um, and I want to pick your brain a little bit about this because the you know certainly your uncle's generation, my dad's generation looked a whole lot different than your my generation coming out of, of optometry school, which looks a whole lot different than the current generation coming out. And I remember not too long after school sitting in conferences and listening to guys like Jason Dorsey talk about, uh, you know, millennials and these, these damn millennials and they're entitled and what are they going to do with, you know, how are we going to deal with them in business? Well, the youngest millennials are 43. They're, they're kind of middle management right now. Um, but the, the Gen Z's that we talk about, and I like to think of more of in my, you know, as my kids, but they're, 27, 28, right? They're the ones out of school looking to open businesses. You know, they're not the new hires anymore. They've been in business for, for a little bit. So, uh, you've had a chance with a lot of the, the cold starts to get a chance to work with the, the newer generation, right? They, they, they grew up different, um, coming out of optometry school, they look different. The, the diversity is just blown up completely from even when I was in school, which is a fantastic thing. So what are some of the, the things that you're seeing that maybe, um, you know, guys like me and, and my dad and your uncle, you know, don't really appreciate about the, uh, this younger group that's, that's coming up and becoming the next face of optometry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's changed even in the time, you know, that we've been in business and, um, you know, you go back to looking, you know, when I opened, you know, we bought a piece of equipment that was used where the hydraulic fluid leaked all over the floor. And, um, I literally, I mean, I remember, you know, going back and uh, thank goodness my opticians, my optician's brother worked at a hospital and knew how to repair this stuff and came in after hours and we gave him a, 
you know, a case of beer and he fixed it for us, which was awesome. But I had to use phone books. Like literally they had made phone books. Aaron, there was a time where they actually published phone books. I don't know if you remember this, but <laughs> I remember like, phone books. They, they, like we had to use two. There was white pages and there was a yellow pages. So there were two different ones and like the uh the companies were forced to print them by law for some reason. And so we literally never opened them obviously, but used them. I actually mm-hmm. had an ad in the phone book though. And the name started with an A because we thought we'd be at the top. And then I remember going to like lectures where they're like, listen, you tell every one of your staff that they need to circle the name of the practice in the phone book. That way, in case anybody needs eye care, they're immediately going to go to the one that was circled, not the bold one, but circle it. So whether they're at the, I remember, I remember clearly like whether they're at the ice arena or whether they're just simply picking up a pizza, you want to go ahead and have them circle your name every time they're waiting. I'm like, this is wild. So it's come a long way. And so when you look now, you know, technology is really important. Obviously Our, our clients are very well connected. Um, but they're connected in different ways. And so we've really leaned on a lot of technology because we do have a lot of clients that spend a lot of time, they're, they're full time. And so the, the program is at their pace. We're there, we're there all the time for any time they want to call us. There's no like rigid schedule or connect with us or email. Uh, we use this uh, program called Asana, which sets up everything mm-hmm. for them step-by-step step, all the way through that they can work through at any time of the night. And then Slack is incredible. I mean, text messages change things, but we have a group Slack where they can reach any member of the team at any point in time. You know, even at two in the morning, we'll be answering it. We've got 10 members of the team that are constantly answering questions on the fly. And this generation wants things yesterday. It's just, it's that simple. And, you know, we're here to provide that. And Eric and I kind of feed off of that. Unfortunately, we, uh, you know, we, we try to respond within seconds and it, it is, it's disruptive to our life, but it's important to the clients. I know, but, uh, it's it's been very different in terms of their reliance on on technology compared to where it was in the beginning where you know we sent out a lot of word documents and used a lot of dropbox and now everything's you know very automated and then customized to their specific mission based on our responses in slack so yeah it's a diff- definitely different time from when i opened for sure oh big time um sounds like some things are similar right the community and the uh the the engagement you know somebody came up with the idea of circling uh, name in the phone book. And, uh, I remember hearing that at a lecture, um, <laughs> and then looking around me like, I'm, I'm, you know, phone book. In fact, I had to explain what a phone booth was to my kid because they saw one the other day and, uh, you know, you have to do what for a phone. Um, it, it we don't think about this, but the iPhone came out basically when I graduated ICO. Oh. I mean, it, my kids have grown up with the silly thing in their hand. In fact, they were given an I, an iPad in kindergarten to uh for school it's just it's completely different so the connectivity the the you know the influence model the ability to get information is is way different you know coming out of school it wasn't we had to we went to conferences to get the information yeah now i can watch it you know my pajamas on a saturday morning or you know get it on demand or or whatnot um i'm curious because you've got now all these these uh cold starts and docs that are involved in in you talked about the connectivity through uh, um, through the different channels. How much do they rely on each other and pitching ideas back and forth, and you know, asking for help and, and offering help? Yeah, I think uh, you know, to me, there, there's just no replacement to you know, in person human mm-hmm. connectivity. You know, person to person. I do all the deals. I, I love handshake deals. I like to look people in the eye, see exactly what they're all about. Um, the, the, the community now is different. I mean, there's a lot of value provided, I think in online communities, 
specifically when it comes down to cases um, about different eye, you know, eye diseases and things like that. I think we saw that a lot when, you know, autonomous got together on Facebook years ago. And I, I think that that's important um, to be able to bounce a few things off. But you have to kind of consider the source, I think, when you when you mm -hmm. look at that in terms of, you know, if they speak for a certain company or, you know, if they have an alternative agenda or uh, if they're lonely and just spend all day on that. I, I yeah. think, you know, COVID, COVID taught us a lot. You know, it's, um, you know, I was one of the yeah, crazy. I, I was one of the first patients with COVID in Chicago. I, I we're pretty close to Chinatown and we got like a letter and noticed that conjunctivitis was a preliminary symptom. And um, so I was, I was locked in for 19 days and it was, it was rough. I didn't know what was going on. You know, they were telling people to drink bleach then and take hydroxychloroquine. We didn't know anything. I, my yeah. wife just said, just get the hell away from all of us. Don't come anywhere near <laughs> us. And, uh, but you go back to COVID and you look at, I mean, the studies done about people that were just locked in and were exclusively online. I mean, incredible amount of depression and anxiety and just, you know, human beings require, you know, contact with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And you look back to like, even, gosh, I mean, I took a class in college and it was evolutionary medicine. It's awesome class, you know, and uh, it made a lot of sense. It's like, okay, why are people afraid of heights? You know, it's like, okay, well, those people that are afraid of heights were less likely to fall off a cliff and, and die. Okay. Yep. So those genes just kind of continued on in the population. And so once, you know, babies develop depth perception, you know, after crawling for a few months, they're avoiding, you know, heights. They, they don't want, you know, they just get yeah. it, you know? So you look at the same thing with like human interaction. They, you know, they crave one-on-one um, -on -one interaction. One, you know, it's more likely to develop social relationships. Um, you can, you know, look at cues in terms of, you know, looking at eye contact and expressions and things like that. And um, one, it also, back then, it was more likely that your genes were going to continue on in the population. Um, you, you can't do that, you know, online. And you couldn't even do it during COVID in person because you couldn't see your face, no. you couldn't see your face, you know. And so you, you look at the difference between the two. There's so much more you can get out of these personal interactions and online meetings where you get full collaboration instead of having to wait, you know, for continuing affirmation of what you're typing in there. And, you know, studies have shown too, I mean, online, you know, communication creates actually a lot of anxiety, there's bullying, there's, there's a lot of fear, and then people mm -hmm. go down rabbit holes and things like that. And so it can create a lot of things that we don't want. I mean, mental health is really important, obviously, in our society right now. So I think in-person interaction, there's, there's no replacement for that. And uh, no. there is supplements that you can have uh, on the social media side and also in, in group uh, chats. But in terms of one-on-one -on -one interaction, there's, there's, there's no way around that. It's just something that humans crave. Uh, agree a hundred percent. What I think is interesting and, and I haven't seen a study on it. I haven't looked for one, but uh, just from my perspective, it, the, the virtual interaction, the social interaction works really well when we have a, a, a personal trust and understanding. I mean, I know you, I know who you are, I know where you come from. So if you're going to respond back to something I, I say or post or a question I pose, I know where it's coming from. Right. Whereas Joe Smo, I got no idea who that guy is. Right. And so the, the to your point, the anxiety is higher. Right. So maybe a critique back. I may be reading it as a critique. His intention may be different, but I've got no idea what that is. And so you know, fight or flight human development, I'm going to always, almost always look worst case scenario to try to protect myself. And so if you don't have that individual trust, individual relationship, personal relationship ahead of time, I think it does create some, uh, some challenges. And, and my, imagine even in a community like yours, 
Um, not everybody has met each other personally, but there's a foundational understanding that they all have because they're all part of I care advisors. They've gone through the process. They know you guys. And so even then that's a, you know, not as good as a, as a in-person, but uh, certainly a higher level of trust because they're part of a, of a group and, you know, been vetted if you will. So there's uh, there's a, there's more of a trust back and forth. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that it's, those are all really valid points. I mean, you have to consider the source and everything. I mean, we're, we're in the medical profession. I mean, we need peer reviewed research behind our decision-making, you know, um, we also, you know, need solid evidence that's going to support certain suggestions. And we try to provide our clients, you know, with that, you know, through a lens of, yes, we've already vetted these individuals because we have all these things in our practice. I mean, you know, we, we deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis and, when you go back and you look at, you know, local meetings, I mean, I've been involved in politics for a really long time and it really takes someone I and mean, look at the Iowa caucuses that are coming up, you know, so, you know, people caucus still, you know, and, and our local meetings at like a, a level for the optometric society, I mean, that's how we got things done. I mean, that's how we passed kindergarten examination laws and, and oral legislation. And that can't all have been organized online. You need to actually show up to fundraisers and give checks and things like that. And, you know, so it's just, it's a little, little bit of a different, I think, time now um, than it, than it was before. I mean, look at, you can't get catfished in person. I mean, I went to Notre Dame, Manti, Manti Teo. <laughs> I mean, if you, anybody's watched a documentary, it's crazy, but I mean, Manti Teo, great guy, really intelligent individual, but I mean, he was catfished online and, and, and I was in Alaska this summer. I actually found out what that, what that meant. I didn't know, but like, so we went fishing. It took with my boys and my wife, we went fishing and uh, we were catching cod off of uh, Alaska. And uh, they were explaining that the cod, when they ship them to overseas, they used to put them in like these giant tanks. And the, by the time the cod got there, they were just all mushy and kind of just, it just didn't taste very good. So they started putting uh, catfish inside of the tanks and the catfish would just rile up all the cod and snip at their like fins. And they kept them alive for a lot longer. So when the cod got there, they, they tasted a lot better. And so that's where cat, that's where catfishing. I had no idea until we were, well, like, we were in Alaska. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. So catfish like pretending to be a, a cod, and you know when you get online, it can cause you know a lot of anxiety on certain threads and, and things along those lines. And so I think that that personal you know interaction and touch. Um, that's why telehealth is is not mm -hmm. the future. Um, you know, it, you still need that one-on-one -on -one patient care. You need the laying on of the hands and things along those lines. It, it can't possibly replace that. There's certainly, certainly a place for it in rural communities where people are indigent and don't have access to that kind of care. I, I think that's one positive that came out of COVID, but, uh, you know, there's nothing that's ever going to replace, you know, the personal interaction from patient to doctor for sure. Oh, definitely. And, uh, it reminded me, I, I think it was last year. There was a bunch of news articles about an influencer that had, you know, over a million dollar or a million dollar million uh, people following her on whether it was TikTok or, or whatnot, set up a meet and greet and no one came. And um, so just the, the, well, the value we place on, on different things. Um, and, uh, and I think that the value of, of, you know, community, um, real in-person community is, uh, is important and, um, uh, the, I don't know if you know, uh, John Acuff, um, he actually spoke at the, I met him cause he spoke at the, one of the keynotes at the vision source exchange meeting this last year and, uh, loved it cause he just, he resonated well with me. So I went and read a couple of his books and in his latest book, he, uh, 
he proposes a, uh, a task or a, not a task, but a, an activity where you just start writing your best moments. So what are the best moments in life? And you write them all down, write them down. And then you go back and categorize them as either a, an activity uh, or a, rather an experience, an accomplishment, a relationship or an object. And, uh, so I went through and did mine and, and objects were, were very low in his, in his book. He talks about how objects are low. He also mentions that not a single one of his, uh, his best moments had anything to do with social media and, uh, notice mine too. You know, at the time, maybe I post something and I get a, a, a you know, a bunch of likes or it, it goes viral and I get a thousand people to view it. Um, but none of that really mattered at the end it was all for me it was everything was relationship and in doing something with someone um which i think is different than sometimes what we like to think because you know i'm tied to this silly little phone and i'm tied to a response that i gotta make or i posted a picture and i gotta see who likes it or whatnot you know or i'm worried about what somebody that i've never met thinks about replied in a comment to uh, something that i posted yeah, no, I, I and I'm pretty, I'm pretty hands off. Unfortunately, I missed that a millennial. I didn't know I was so close, man. Forty three. I, you know, I, uh, I really kind of um, use it for, you know, very limited, you know, circumstances. But a lot of our clients do, and, and that's one of the reasons we've got other members of our team, um, you know, working on those things to make sure they're getting the information that we need. But we're so accessible um, that it's really simple, you know, for them to get a hold of us. And, um, you know, but even like, I just went to Academy for the first time in a while and it's amazing, you know, to see where the profession's going and how much can be learned in, at the bar at these meetings. It's, it's amazing about new ideas coming up for studies and things along those lines. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that come out of, you know, I'm on a bunch of different, you know, email groups with orthokeratology and myopia control and a lot of cool things to be learned, but, all this real work really gets done at a lot of these academy meetings and in uh, other meetings for political reasons to advance the profession, but also to advance the science behind what we're doing. I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how much work gets done at the bar when we're not supposed to be working? <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's, you know, I tell every student, I said, listen, don't, I said, guys, you're in class all the time. I said, you wear your name tag, you go to the bar. I said, you find somebody, that's from your state or your town, and you start a conversation. I said, this is your first four years here. They're, they're spent trying to f achieve your ultimate goal, you know, yeah. and is your ultimate goal um, working uh, in corporate practice? Maybe it is, you know, and, and a lot of it is, and there, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking to find a private practice job, um, don't be in the classroom, be at the, bar, be, be at the bar. That's where the action happens. That's where you get to yeah. meet people and look at their name tags and find out where, exactly where they're from and reach out to them and have that human interaction because that's going to tell you a lot about their personality. You know, the, the best, you know, clinicians I ever had, it's just their personalities were enormous. And uh, it really, you know, shows when we, we get some of these clients that we just know, I mean, they're going to absolutely kill it. Absolutely mm -hmm. kill it. I mean, they're, we obviously had all the, you know, success rates incredible, but, you know, it, it's, it's one of these things where I don't like to, I like to invest, you know, in myself, I, I would say. So like you go back to the student thing, everyone is invested in themselves. They've taken out an incredible amount of loans, you know, they've, that's an investment in yourself. And so people that are cold starting a private practice, that's betting on yourself. And, you know, there, what's a better bet than that, you know, yeah. whether it's a stock or by, you know, invest in some you know scam real estate thing or whatever i mean if you bet on yourself you've got full control of that you know yep. and you 
and that's why I love our clients. I mean, if, if I were to just say, hey, listen, you know, money is not important to me right now, I would, and if I was unethical, I would say, listen, I'll provide all these services for free. And I just want 5% of your practice because I believe in you that much. And I will coach you throughout this entire thing. And I believe in you because I, I invest in people. You know, yeah. I, it's, it's just one of these things where I've seen them do so well that the money isn't important. And, but we want to see independent, you know, optometry thrive. I can't tell you how many venture capital firms are like, this model is amazing. I'd love to buy the whole company and let's go ahead and take pieces of these practices and then we'll roll them up and flip them. And it's like, this is not, this is not what we're all about. I mean, we came into this because we want to see private practice continue to survive and thrive. And, and that's one of the reasons we don't use, you know, that model, but I would do it in a second because I can control that. I know who I'm betting on. Um, so not to go off on a tangent, but catfish and whatever, but you know, it's just one of these things where um, I, I think, I think it's, it's one of the reasons why people got into the profession is they want to be able to, you know, help their local community and see patients and be able to practice the way they want to practice. And a lot of that, I think goes back to just, you know, starting in, in school and meeting the right people kind of like you did. I mean, just randomly. Yep. No, absolutely. And, and I love the investing in yourself. Um, I also love the, the idea of being honest with yourself. It's, uh, it's interesting. I get a lot of, of students from ICO and I always ask them why they went into optometry and they give me the, the standard answer of, I like to help people and I want to make a difference and it, very altruistic type of answers. And uh, so I'll ask them again. I said, no, that's, you know, that's great, but be honest with yeah. me. Why did you go into optometry? And the ones that tend to do the best and that, that I just really do well in our office are the ones that say, well, I think it's going to be a good profession. I think it's going to give me a good, I'm going to be satisfied out of it. It's going to, you know, we're not going to make billions, but it's going to give my family a, a good quality of a standard of living. Um, you know, I didn't want to, to be outside all day with a, uh, a shovel and a hammer. Um, and, it, and not to knock shovels and hammers, but you know, they're honest. They're saying what they, what they, uh, what they believe. I think the, the ones that I've struggled with are the, you know, they can't be honest with themselves and, uh, you know, making money feels like a bad thing. Um, making money feels like a, a you know, dirty and, you know, I, I love that, uh, optometry is not allowed to use the word sales. Um, which is something I also learned from you because it, it, in a very positive way, you're always selling, right? You're always trying to read people and, and help them understand what they need. You know, where it's in, whether it's an employee, working with an employee, working with a patient, I'm sure the, the same with your, your clients, you know, and, and selling not into trying to get them something they don't need, but helping them understand what they do need and putting things in the terms that, that relate to them. Yeah, the trust factor is huge, you yeah. know, and that it's actually, I think it's more important of what you just said as far as, you know, don't sell them things they don't need. I mean, there's so many times where I'm not going to change something because the patient doesn't need it. You know, the, the way I tell clients too is like, you know, when you're controlling your practice, you treat it as if you're <clears throat> your mom or your dad, your brother, sister, you know, your, your wife, your husband are in that chair. You know, what would you do in that situation? And uh, when you operate that way, I mean, you're never going to lose. Never. You know, that, that's always going to come back to you. And that's the kind of relationships, you know, that, you know, we've kind of built over time. Um, and the sales and stuff will come just with trust, but you have to, you have to earn that trust in the beginning, especially, you know, as a cold start, you got a lot of time on your hands. You don't have a lot of cash, you got a lot of time, 
And so you got time to talk to these people about what they do and have a general interest in, in their children and their activities. And we have every one of them write a letter, write a note after every exam, every exam, they write a the actual handwritten note, believe it or not, that's still like around Aaron. I don't know if you <laughs> know that, like not, not texting back and saying, Hey, thanks for coming in, but it makes an impact because no one does that anymore. You know, yeah. you, you handwrite a note and say, you know, Mr. Smith, thanks so much for coming in. You know, good luck on your trip to Mexico. Hope you love the new sons, you know, and, you know, looking forward to seeing you next year. If anyone else, you know, uh, would love to support a small business that needs eye care, by all means, please send them in, you know, so it's, it makes a huge impact. I still have patients that, you know, <laughs> I still have patients that come back and, and remind me of, of all those times that we sent all those things and having Santa at the office and all those, it's just building the community. Oh yeah. No, being part of a community. And, uh, no, I agree with you. The notes are important. I, my struggle with notes is my handwriting is so bad that I, it's, it's hard to slow it down. I send, when I travel, I send my kids postcards from wherever I'm going. And, uh, I've been asked to write less on the postcards because it's too hard for them to figure out how to read and decipher the language. So now it's more of a just, Hey, da, you know, hi, thinking about you. Um, but they keep them all. It, it's as silly yeah. as that little note is in the back. I was cleaning up my daughter's room and, you know, going through it to see if there's anything in there that she's, uh, not supposed to have and found a whole stack of all the postcards that she's gotten, which is really cool that it, it, it is, meant it that much cool. for them to, to hang on to them. I, I hope you weren't writing in cursive because they don't know how to read that, by the way. They stopped like teaching that like <laughs> 10 years ago. So we'll have clients that will that'll come up with like these sign ideas from, you know, they'll, they'll you know source the internet and come up with these sign ideas and they'll, you know, then the sign will be in cursive. I'm like, you realize that the generation 10 years ago, they stopped. Yeah. This generation is not even going to be able to read what your sign says. I mean, you're going to need you're going to need to put it in some kind of a, a text. I mean, that's how much things have changed. I mean, cursive is gone. Like they have to teach now kids how to sign their names in a unique way instead of just, you know, block letters. It's it's pretty wild. I mean, my kids are 11 and 13 and I see it. And yeah. uh, if I wrote them something in, you know, uh, in cursive, at least I could, you know, show it to my wife and it's about the kids and they wouldn't be able to read it. It might as well yeah. be in another language. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Cursive and uh, stick shift cars. Yeah, <laughs> that's too bad though. <laughs> that is the uh, well, even working on cars anymore. That's a they're they're computers with wheels now. Yeah, that's that's a DIY thing that uh, you know people used to have skills with, and uh, now you just bring it in and be like, "What's wrong with it?" I don't know. It's broken. You know, fix yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. The light came on and it yeah. dinged. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. No one changes oil anymore. You know. So I'm curious with, with the young cold starts that you're, you're coming up or that you're working with, because a lot of, especially early on in practice ownership, it's, it's a lot of DIY. I mean, I don't know how many toilets I've fixed and engines I've had to replace and, and whatnot. What are you seeing with, um, with this group as far as, as a, you know, willingness to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty? Yeah, I think that's a knock on millennials. I think it's, it's unfair. Um, I, I have some of the most impressive clients you wouldn't, wouldn't believe. Um, and it's not always about, you know, fixing toilets. And, um, but sometimes you have to do that, you know, and they're always like, you know, well, well when do I hire an office manager? Or, you know, I need to be looking for an office. And I'm like, you are the office manager. I go, you're, yeah. you're hiring an optician and you're also going to hire a part-time individual to answer phones when you're there seeing patients. And, you know, otherwise you're the janitor, head bottle washer, you know, you're going to be the one that's taking out the trash. You're going to be the one that, is cleaning the equipment and is performing most of the pre-testing and sometimes answering your own phone. You know, there was a time where I was answering my own phone and like 
patients were endeared to that for a little while. And then finally, like after you're like, why are you answering your own phone? You know, it's like, you could be doing something better. It's like, well, you know, so-and-so is sick and that's just what had to be done. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of cool things you can, you know, do yourself. Like, you know, as far as painting the practice and stuff, we have a lot of people that have real handy family members that come in and help and things like that. The, the one thing, you know, that's dangerous though, is you can't be out there, um, I mean, I, I made so many mistakes. I mean, both Eric and I, I mean, ridiculous. I mean, we we negotiated three leases without a real estate broker. We didn't ask for TI on any of them. Had no idea that TI was even possible. I mean, left tens and tens of thousands on the table for vultures just to kind of take advantage of us. I mean, I bought, again, equipment from, you know, overseas and because uh, I didn't have any money and realized that that wasn't such a great idea because I only have one lane, one exam lane. It breaks down and there's there's nothing else you can do. I, yeah. I bought an OCT that caught on fire, dude. It, it caught a fire <laughs> and I, I spent, that's, it was used. I, I couldn't, I couldn't afford a new one. And so the insurance company is like, you know, it, it's not insured, buddy. This is a used piece of equipment. <laughs> and my agents like, uh, well, what if you can prove there was a, a lightning fire? A light, was there lightning that day when uh, it happened? Like maybe the lightning shot through and somehow fried it and had to catch on fire. I literally went back and called Tom Skilling. I don't know who that is. If, he's like a weatherman in Chicago. He's uh -huh. like a legend. Yeah. To try to find out if there was a lightning storm on that day that I could somehow coordinate an insurance claim with. And, and there wasn't. I lost 40 grand. Uh, Eric bought an edger. It was awesome. Eric bought, <laughs> Eric bought an edger. <laughs> I mean, you're laughing. You worked on a bunch of them. I mean, they're, uh -huh. they're complicated pieces of equipment, but he yeah. thought he got a great, great deal. It was installed, and then he had a problem, you know, um, with the tracer, and then it was just edging a little bit too small. And you know, he comes in, and he had to call a technician who he knew. And the guy comes in, and uh, he's like, "Hey, you know, this edger's from Walmart. It's got over a hundred thousand cuts on it." <laughs> <laughs> and it was like it was like rolling back like a 57 chevy odometer you could do uh -huh. that on the on the outside but you couldn't do it internally so this guy this guy knew so eric eric bought a, a used edger that was on its like last legs and thought the thing was brand new because it had a new cover on it and we just made so many mistakes and those are those are the things that you know we want to avoid by just you know working with quality individuals and making sure that they have quality equipment at the, the best prices and uh you know, that way, you know, we can make sure that you stay open because you don't have a backup plan. Your, your lane goes down. It's that's bad news. You're not going to yeah. be trial frame refracting in there. I'll tell you that. So. No, no, there's there's certainly places to cut costs and places not to. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, Lori Sorensen, one of my other mentors, and uh, I love her. Uh, she references this. I'm sure she stole it from someone else. But the definition of an expert is somebody who's made more mistakes than you have. And, yeah. uh, I, I, I think that's important to, to learn. I think the stories are, are funny, but they're, they're, you know, learning lessons as well. And, uh, cause there's certainly things that, you know, I think that you could overpay on, but, uh, you know, using professionals appropriately, you know, lawyers to help negotiate at least somebody yeah, who's done sure. it before, um, making sure you've got somebody that, that understands employment law to write your associate contracts and uh different types of things because you know a little bit of a little bit of money on the front end is going to save you a lot more on the back end you know whether it's the right equipment or or setting yourself up uh properly for the business you know i have no problems painting a room but uh, i'm not going to do electrical no yeah, yeah. And you, you don't shouldn't. want me to burn the building down no 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 but you know those, those you know those experts are really important you know it, and now I don't even know what the title of this podcast is to tell you the truth, but I mean, if there's anybody listening that, you know, is a new student that is just even coming out and thinking about, you know, 
just going into, you know, cold starting or into another practice. I mean, you really got to look at that contract. I mean, non-compete clauses are killer. And there's a lot of corporations out there that are putting just unbelievable restrictive covenants in there that just really um, cause a lot of problems. You don't want to have to go to court over that. So you need to have a lawyer, and an expert, you know, look at that. I mean, Eric has been doing this at the college now for, you know, over a decade in terms of advising on contracts, but we still always have it, you know, vetted by a lawyer to make sure that everything in each jurisdiction is going to go through properly. And that's really important, whether you're getting your first job, because uh, it could, you know, then parlay that into your next move, whether you decide to buy into a practice or whether you decide mm-hmm. to cold start a practice. Yep. No, definitely. And, uh, and I don't know yet what the name of the podcast is by the time people are yeah. listening to it, we'll have come up with something. Uh, the, okay. um, but uh, good conversation. So we're, we're getting a little close to that hour, Mark. Um, what advice on a, uh, so two questions I'm going to ask. One is what advice would you give somebody who's, who's getting close to that fourth year looking at it, you know, not sure where I want to go. Um, you know, you and I are both pro private practice. I think there's a place for all different types of optometry. Um, but, uh, we, we found that the private practice is where we think we give the, the best care. Um, and so the first question is going to be about the, the young grads coming out or, or recent grads. The second one is going to be, uh, geared towards more like guys like you and I, who are looking to, uh, to bring in, uh, an associate doc, potentially have them become an owner down the line you know, what should we be looking for? What should, you know, what should our attitude be towards some of these young grads coming out and how best to engage them? Because if, if we think they're going to, you know, do the same thing we did, um, we're mistaken. It's a different world in, in a sense of, uh, you know, just how we approached, uh, life. And so I'm, I'm curious on your perspective on both those questions. I mean, those are, those are great questions. So, you know, I, I, Unfortunately, I think, you know, the first question that you asked about, you know, what to do if you're a fourth year uh, looking to figure out what you want to do. Unfortunately, I would say you're you're too late. You know, you're too late to find your dream job out of school. I think honestly, you should start in year two. I know it's overwhelming. You know, the first year just getting through optometry school, it's tough. You know, they make it that that way on purpose. But um, know what you want to do and then line up your externships based on your current interests, because you may not know if you want to go into you know, pediatrics, if you want to go into low vision or advanced care or neuro, um, it's a very, you know, uh, optometry's, you know, it's incredibly advanced at this stage compared to when I was in school and the laws that we had to pass to get where we're at right now. But, you know, start a a second year. And again, spend the time at the bar to make those connections. You know, I cold called every private practitioner around me, even though I knew my uncle was going to have a position for me part-time. I mean, Aaron, I was working at the prison on Sunday. I, I mean, even when I was you know, with you, I don't even know if you knew that I was working in like a medium security prison on Sunday to just make more money on the side to support, you know, the private practice. And, you know, those jobs I came out with from meeting people politically, you know, throughout, um, you know, my time at ICO. And so started second, third year. And um, then the answer to the second question, as far as we're seeing a huge problem with this. And it's really sad because, I mean, some of the legends in our profession that have really, you know, um, built uh, the profession in terms of their political activism and what they've done uh, as far as paved the way for the new generation of optometrists that are in some of these rural communities are we're seeing their practices just closed down. I mean, it's it's really, really sad. And, you know, we would love to be able to find a match there, you know, to get those individuals a match with someone that is from there you know, hometown or, 
you know, to find someone that's willing to come in there because those guys kill it. I mean, they absolutely kill it. They're, they love it. They're commu- They're pillars of the community. I mean, he's got, I don't have to tell you this. I mean, I think you had a horse, you know, I, I think you had a horse hitch in front of your practice for a while, you know, and, yeah. you know, they, they love, they love, you know, the connection that they have in the community. And the doctors that want to do that are going to make an incredible amount of money, but they're also going to lead an incredible life there and really kind of change the town in some cases. And so what I would tell a lot of those older doctors is, one, make the connections with schools around the country and let them know where you're at and what your trajectory is. Don't look at a year out. Look three or four years down the road. You know, there were times when I was even thinking of, you know, if, if I were in one of those practices, I would basically act as almost like the GI Bill or, or do what the military does. You know, I'd be happy to right now pay a doc that isn't even graduated yet that I believe in that I know either interviewed with me or did an externship for me or, you know, along the way has, um, you know, worked in the office like you have. I would pay a portion of their tuition for, you know, first, second, third fourth year in order to for them to guarantee that they would work for me, you know, coming out of school. I mean, there's ways to do that, I believe. And I think a lot of these uh, private practitioners need to start thinking a little bit outside the box, you know, because mm-hmm. you do have to plan for the future. And, you know, in order for private optometry to continue its trajectory, it's still by far the best way to practice and the most lucrative way to practice. Uh, you really have to think outside the box. And the younger generation here, um, more exposure that you have to them to tell your story, I think is going to be better in the long term rather than scrambling a year before retirement. Yep. Absolutely wonderful sound advice. I, I think that's the, both those pieces of advice are huge. And, and I would just, you know, add on and maybe reiterate, you know, when you're going to the, the society events or the, the expos or academy or the vision source exchanges, you know, get outside your comfort zone. And if, if you're a student, you know, hang out with the students, but also hang out with the, with the docs that are there, right? We, we, we were all in your shoes. We can, we can all lament over taking boards and, uh, and have a drink to that. Um, and, uh, and if you're a, a, you know, established doc, you know, be open and inviting to the, the younger docs coming in. Because it's scary when, you know, I remember the big names and, and I remember the first time you took me out having a beer with uh, a couple of the professors at school and I was intimidated out of my mind. We're going out with, with who? And, uh, um, and then recognizing that they're real people, that they were cool, right? They're not just the guy on stage, you know, who seems like they know everything, but they're, they're, they're people and they've got stories and they're funny and, and they could all drink me under the table. Um, but uh, it it that was a huge eye opening moment for me, and I grew up around doctors, so it was it, yeah. you know just you know we're all part of the same big uh, big family and just helping each other. But having that personal communication and personal interaction, I think, is is huge. Absolutely, so, I couldn't agree with you more. Very cool. So Bob, we'll put your contact info in the um, uh, for Care Advisors and and for you in the the show notes. But if somebody's looking to 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 get a hold of you, find out a little bit more about you know uh, opening a, a cold start practice, whether you're out of school, maybe you've been you know uh, employed for you know thirty years and now you want to uh, to step out and kind of do it on your own. We've seen it all. What's the best way to uh, to get a hold of you? Yeah, I mean, first, I would encourage people to do their due diligence. I mean, there's a lot of great people out there um, that are really providing some really sound, non-biased advice that I think, you know, just peel back uh, one or two layers of the onion to go and investigate. This is an investment in yourself, but it's going to be the most important investment you make after 
your collegiate career. And so, um, one, do your due diligence. You know, we're not for everybody. There's a lot of other, you know, firms out there that do different things. We, we know cold starts and we know them very, very well. That's what we do great. great. Uh, you can look at a, look us up on uh, iCareAdvisors.com. That's with the letter I. So I-C-A-R-E-Advisors with an O, uh, .com. And then um, you can email me anytime with any questions that you have, too. It's just Dr. Steinmetz at iCareAdvisors.com. Uh, I'm happy to answer any questions, whether it's from students uh, looking to go down this path uh, or individuals that are also looking at alternative options, you know, from uh, their corporate career or from uh, a practice that may be in a group and want to branch out on their own. Happy to help. Awesome. And I'll put links to both those in the, uh, in the notes as well. Bob, thanks for, uh, one, thanks for taking a, a chance at me as a, a student who <laughs> leaves their backpack in places, uh, trying to make a good first impression on interviews. Um, but, uh, but really, you know, first and foremost, being a friend, um, and, and second, being a, me- a mentor, we didn't even get into the, uh, you know, the back and forth, um, positive, you know, discussions and sometimes even debates that, that we have that I learned a ton from. And, uh, it, it's humbling to know that, you know, you're reaching out to me asking for, for advice and thoughts on things. And I like the opportunity to be able to do the same back, uh, back with you and, and really appreciate what you do for the profession. Cause it, it was fantastic for me as a child growing up in it. Uh, it's been fantastic for me as a dad raising a family in the profession. And so I appreciate, uh, you sharing your knowledge and experience with, with others so they can also have that experience, you know, that lifestyle. Well, well, Rex, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. (laughs) Uh, really it's incredible, you know, uh, to watch your career and and what you've accomplished and and still have so much more to go. So, you know, really thank you for uh, having me on here. Uh, you know, eventually I appreciate it. And, um, you know, hopefully somebody got something out of this rambling nonsense uh, over the last hour, but, uh, I definitely appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, if I don't see you before the holidays, have a wonderful uh, holiday season with your family and I look forward to catching up next time uh, we can in person. You too, buddy. Thanks, man.